0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we talk to Terry Fox's older brother, Fred Fox, on the anniversary of the start of the Marathon of Hope. Then Don Robertson joins us to talk about the Leafs at the trade deadline. And what do you do with a guy, with an athlete, with a star of your team, who's got all kinds of people lining up suing him for bad behavior, but yet nothing has been proved against him? What do you do? We're talking about that and lots more. Stick around.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Stunning to think this is the case, but it is 41 years ago today that Terry Fox began his Marathon of Hope. Stunning because it just, it's impossible. I mean, last year at the anniversary, it was stunning that it was four decades. I mean, it just, it just seems more and more impossible that it's that long ago because it still seems, at least I guess for those of us who were old enough to remember Really fresh that this whole thing happened. It just, it's impossible that it could be that long ago. However, it is. And one of the exciting things and one of the encouraging things is that despite being 41 years, I would bet that there is not a single Canadian who does not know who Terry Fox is. And I think that's pretty unique because I don't think you could say that for almost anyone else, no matter how famous they were in this country at any point. Ask a kid who John Diefenbaker was or who. You know, pick whoever else. Gordy Howe, people will know, but not everybody. Everybody knows Terry Fox. I want to bring in his brother. Fred Fox is, as I say, not only Terry Fox's brother, he's also the manager of supporter relations for the Terry Fox Foundation. He joins me now. Fred, how are you tonight?
2: Uh, Hi there. How
0: How are you? Thanks for doing this.
2: I'm doing good. For for
0: connecting. uh, Thanks. I think we have a wonky connection, but we'll do our best here, Fred. Um, 41 years, it seems impossible, probably to you too, but 41 years ago, Terry was dipping his foot in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Daryl, your other brother was with him. Where were you when that Marathon of Hope started? When
2: when Terry started in in Newfoundland on this day, it was just... um uh, Terry and his good buddy, Doug Alward, uh, brother Daryl joined in New Brunswick, uh, a okay. month or so later, but, uh, I was at home out here in, on the West coast, uh, living in Coquitlam, um, and, uh, you know, working and doing my own thing, but we were sitting here with anticipation, waiting for the first, uh, you know, TV coverage, maybe on the CBC news of, of Terry, you know, dipping his artificial foot in St. John's Harbor, the Atlantic Ocean, on that day. And, uh, you know, it was a it was a long day waiting, but we we finally got to see that and and, and celebrate it in what Terry had started uh, 41 years ago.
0: I know that there was coverage that first day. I remember seeing the clip of that that TV coverage. But after that, it got pretty dry for a while. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't cell phones, there wasn't internet, there was no texting or emails. How difficult was it for you guys to know what was going on?
2: You know, I. I Terry did make the effort to um, to call mom and dad every day. I, again, I wasn't living at home, but, it, you know, to make a contact, uh, you know, in those early days, believe it or not, uh, you know, Terry was still in the first few weeks, he was sending actually postcards. To, I received a couple of postcards over the first month or so. And, and you're right, you know, Terry was, believe it or not, they would pull over the side of the road at the end of the day and they would find a phone booth and, and, Carrie would uh, phone a couple of the media outlets here in Vancouver on a you know scheduled uh, day ever during the week and so he'd find a phone booth somewhere and and make
0: a phone calls like you said, no cell phone during like that did you th- honestly and I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, but honestly when he set out to do this. Did you really believe that he would be able to do it, or did you think, you know, that he's got to do what he wants to do and take a stab at it, and who knows where this thing is going to go?
2: Yeah, it, you know, it was a little bit of both. Uh, Terry and I are only fourteen months apart in age. I'm the older brother, and so you know, when he, when he told me after he told mum and dad what he was doing, mum first, and uh, what his plans were, and he told me, well, you know, being close in age and we were young, we were in our you know early early twenties, and I, I guess probably I took it for granted a little bit. I had seen Terry, played sports with him, and, you know, he competed against each other. Terry was of the, of the mind that uh, if he was going to do something, he was going to work hard at everything he did. And so when he told me he was going to run across Canada, probably took it for granted a little bit. And uh, what I said was, well, that's great, Terry. Um, you know, good luck. We'll see you when you get home. Never, ever <laughs> imagining what, what, the marathon of hope would have ended up being, and even even in the early days before he even left Newfoundland, the attention that he was getting was was pretty amazing. We we could Terry could never have imagined that would have happened in that
0: way. Even when Daryl went to join him, did you ever think of going? I, in fact, was uh, you know I was working and um, you
2: know kind of committed to uh, um, a relationship who, uh, with my with. my you know, soon to be my wife and everything else. So I couldn't get away. I was asked to go because um, Terry and Doug needed a little extra help. It worked out perfectly for Daryl. He was graduating from high school uh, that spring of 1980. They let him go a bit earlier in in mid-May and, and joined Terry and Doug in St. John's. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that we wish we had have been able to be more involved uh, physically. I was able to see Terry when he arrived in Toronto. Spent three days there. What an amazing experience. And then later... Later on, in late August, mid-late August, my wife and I um, drove from B.C. and down, carry Doug, and Daryl in just south of Wawa, Ontario, um, in, in Montreal River, and spent three or four days with them there.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Fred, lots of people have done many inspiring things over the years. Why, why do you think Terry's has resonated and has had such a staying power in people's minds and people's hearts
2: you know i I think a lot of it is obviously terry himself i I think there's so many people uh who personally witnessed uh terry running um whether in person or from another province that he he wasn't running in through the media and uh seeing footage um you know when Terry spoke, you understood that it wasn't about Terry Fox. It was, it, it was about, uh, it wasn't about, you know, getting rich or being famous or benefiting in any way. Terry, it was obvious, was doing it to make a difference in other people's lives. And, uh, I think that came off right off the bat and, and the story still shares that. Uh, You know, Terry was only 21 years old, turned 22 um, during the Marathon of Hope, and I think that's why, in a way, it resonates still with um, young people. You know, there's kids who weren't born 40 years ago learning about Terry Fox, and, you know, Terry is still fairly close to their age, and, uh, you know, they connect. Terry can inspire them. Terry can still... that with a little bit of hard work and determination, anything is possible if you try. Terry says mm. those those things so often that uh, when you try, dreams are possible.
0: He was your little brother. And I got to imagine, I mean, I've heard many times people say how mature he was, but I have to imagine sometimes when you were sitting at home watching the news or listening, were there ever times when you said, my goodness, he has changed. And I mean, in a positive way, maturity-wise, when he was thrown up on that stage, did you hear a different Person, when he would talk older than the 21 year old little kid that you knew as a brother?
2: You, you bet. Um, you know, I think all, all of us, when we were around that age, were really, were really quiet. We were shy, um, you know, not all that confident in speaking. And, uh, you know, as soon as Terry was able to get out there while he was on the road and share his story, um, he, he became more confident and it was amazing. I think, you know, I, right. Today, as we speak, I'm at Simon Fraser University, where our national offices for the Terry Fox Foundation and the head coach of the basketball team uh, that Terry played for, he, he did an interview afterwards and he, he said the exact same thing. I, I don't, can't believe it's the same kid that, that <laughs> I coached in the junior varsity team because he was so quiet. Terry did all of his talking on the basketball floor. Here now he is, a mature, confident kid talking about what he wants to do and why he was running across Canada.
0: You must have, maybe even during the run, but certainly afterwards, you've probably talked about him with someone almost every day of your life, I'm guessing. Correct?
2: Well, yeah, uh, yes, of course. And, you know, unfortunately, this past uh, year and a bit, we haven't been able to travel uh, like I normally do twice a year for, you know, a total of about a dozen weeks uh, of the year. But, yeah, in, in what I do every day, um, we, I talk about Terry at uh, work. I talk about Terry on the on the weekends. You know, whether it's my three grown children, Terry often comes up, um, and, you know, because they never got a chance to meet their Uncle Terry. So, you're right. Um, I don't – none of us. I don't think any of my siblings, we ever – when we meet somebody new, we never – it never comes out who we are, but uh, in the end, one one day down the road, we end up talking about Jerry at, at some point. So it's, it's pretty cool that people are so interested to still
0: do that. Let me ask you a personal question because you're obviously very proud of what he did. I mean, I, I can know that just by the fact that you're still working to keep his run alive and keep promoting it, but it have there been times it must be tough at some times to be Terry Fox's brother, the the legacy, the name, the everything is so huge. Has that ever been difficult?
2: Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I the, you know I work for the Terry Fox Foundation now, but uh, you know, my first uh, time with the foundation was back in 1994. I looked after the provincial office. I I hung around until 2001, and I, honestly, it was. It became very two too. too Unbearable. I I couldn't, and I I stayed away for you know eight years. Came back in two thousand and nine, um, and it's a blessing. I see it as a blessing now. Um, some days are are better than others. Most days are are really good, especially when you you hear the inspiring stories and uh, and and because of what Terry started in on this day forty one years ago, and the you know the stories of people who who were diagnosed with cancer and because of the research today are, are living today, family members um, that, you know, say that their loved one is living today because of what Terry started. It, it's, uh, it's, it's such uh, uh, an important time to be here and we're, we're, you know, happy
0: to be able to be a part of it. Well, for sure. And just before I ask you about the run, um, he, there are a lot of honors and a lot of monuments and statues and things. Do you have a favorite, uh, a favorite thing that has been named after or dedicated to Terry Fox?
2: Oh boy, um, that's a tough one. There's so many beautiful uh, tributes. I mean, 14 schools across the country. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna say that only because I spent a lot of time there. I'm a big high school basketball fan, and uh, Terry Fox Secondary, the high school that that was renamed after, you know, the high school that we went to growing up. Um, that's my favorite spot to be. Uh, they they really um, are proud of carrying terry's name on on their on their chest when they're you know out there on the basketball floor whether it's the men or our girls basketball team the, the ladies basketball team so that said there's so many across the country and um um it's amazing we're still dealing with uh requests about wanting to um you know recognize terry
0: in some way yeah, even days. the five dollar bill right they're talking about that that he's a finalist for that as well exactly. so yeah uh the, uh, the... Uh, yeah Go ahead. No, the Terry Fox, we got to run, but the Terry, pardon the pun, but the Terry Fox run is still scheduled to go this September, touch wood, hoping that uh, everything is cleared up by then.
2: Yeah. You know, we haven't made any, any definitive decisions yet. Uh, we're still waiting to see how things go. Um, I, I can, you know, see that possibly in the most more populated uh, centers of Canada and the bigger cities that there, we could have to go virtual again, but for sure the more remote rural areas of of the country, Northern Ontario, the prairies, um, those communities may, may be able to gather, but we, you know, we're not making the decision yet. We'll probably do but that. But there will
0: be a run. One way or another, the Terry Fox run continues for year 41 okay, virtual, here. so
2: vir- A virtual run or maybe an in-person run, depending on where you are.
0: Fred Fox, listen, really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. I know you've had a ton of requests and a ton of time being taken mm-hmm. up with this, but I really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you so much, Scott. Uh, good to talk to you.
0: That is Fred Fox, older brother of Terry Fox, who, uh, as I say, Marathon of Hope 41 years ago. If you are old enough to remember that, you are probably stunned every time you hear those numbers because it just does not seem possible. It could have been that long ago.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let me bring in Don Robertson. Don is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys and of Calm Choice Realty and as i say every week uh the favorite the betting favorite this year to be dundas citizen of the year again as he was in 2014 are you fatigued and exhausted from all the watching of golf on the weekend i
3: watched uh more than my share but i'll tell you i sat there with my green uh masters hat on i only wear it 4 days a year and it was this weekend cuz i don't want to wreck it and yeah i uh that place is stunning. I mean, I can't get over. I said to Sue, "It's like a 200-acre, meticulously kept park that people can only walk on four days of the year." Yeah, I
0: mean, it's, it's 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 like a giant field of velour. And yeah, and you've been
3: there. I can imagine what it's. Uh, we we chatted with some friends. Uh, actually, Gord Forthros called Woods, Woodson. He's actually been to the Masters. I said I'd love to go, and he said I don't think you could walk it. I got a bad ankle, right? So I don't. Then I look at some of the hills and everything. I can think I don't think I could get around there. Like generally speaking, I'm sure it's worse off the fairways than it is on when you look at the hills. But you're right. It, it to me it looks like no one's ever played there till those guys showed up. It's, it was it, it was stunning.
0: It is pretty remarkable. And you know what, what they don't even show you Don, because you know, they, they don't want to be looking like they are you know, all about the money or whatever, but they have this, uh, this merchandise store that is, I mean, th- this is the nicest store you'll ever go into in your life. It's, it cost them like 20 million or something to build just a store. And there are a line, nobody leaves there without buying stuff. Cause if you're going to get, it's hard to get a ticket to Augusta, to the masters. And so if you're going to go, you're going to load up on all the merchandise. So they know everybody's buying stuff. The lineups to get into this store are incredible. And a couple of years ago, or 2017, I guess, when I was down there covering it, I had all kinds of orders from people of stuff they wanted me to pick up for them. So I did the, I took one day when I had the morning off and I did the run and I walked out with, I think $500 US that I'd spent. And I thought, my goodness, I've just blown the bank. The guy in front of me had $1,700 worth
3: <laughs>
0: and and I think that my four five hundred was probably low end of the average. It's amazing that people they buy everything. It's just so, it is that place is a license to print money.
3: So is uh, I mean it's famous for being able to buy a a beer for like a buck and a quarter, a buck and a half, and a sandwich for a dollar seventy five. Yep. Is there a store? Is there a store in line with that or not at know all? Know how to charge.
0: No, no, you can, you can eat a sandwich for cheap and a beer for cheap. And, and the thing is too, that the beers they serve down there, like you go to a, a game wherever and you'll buy it in a plastic cup and it's that flimsy clear plastic cup. And it may have a logo embossed on it or something. The master's beers are in these really nice, heavy-duty, reusable plastic cups that have the Master's logo and everything on it. So there are people who... Some people don't want their cups. They just want to drink it and throw it out. There are people who will walk around with 50 stacked on top. They'll pick up from there and then take them home as souvenirs because you can put them in the dishwasher and reuse them. And But yes, in the, when you get to the gift shop, that's where they decide that, you know, you got your pimento cheese sandwich for a buck fifty. Now you're going to buy a hat for thirty-five bucks, and you're probably not buying one. You're going to buy twelve, because you're going to take them home to all your friends. And a polo shirt for seventy-five or hundred bucks, and a flag, and a sleeve of balls, and a this, and a that, and an umbrella, and a seat, and a coat, and a and pretty soon, don' you, um, you're finding the black market to sell one of your internal organs to pay for what you owe. But can,
3: can you buy that stuff online?
0: No, no, you can't, and you can't even. Uh, well, most of it. Maybe that. Maybe you can buy a few things, but most of the stuff down there, I don't believe you can. And uh, anyway, it is uh, those who are watching the Masters. It was. Uh, I said to someone earlier today that it was. You know, I I wanted Mac, obviously Mackenzie Hughes from Dundas to win. He did. He did well. Had a rough day on Sunday, but, you know, you can't be too down on the guy winning, who's the first from Japan to win. We, we remember what it was like when Mike Weir won and what a big deal it was. And Japan as a golf country is so enormous. You can't feel anything but good that they get to have their hero and one of those moments like we had. It was fantastic.
3: Did you see, they, they showed it on at the end too, where there, the caddy went out to take the flag, which is kind of traditional, I think. That off was the awesome. Pin, and, he, and he looked to the golf course and bowed.
0: Yeah, it very was, Japanese, very awesome, loved it.
3: Very respectful thing to do, and and I, you know, no, nobody was looking at him. I mean, somebody had a camera on him, but it's not like he was doing it in front of everybody because everybody was leaving, and the focus was on the trophy presentation. But what a classy, you're right, respectful thing to do, and I was pretty happy he won. It was uh, it was good uh, to put in perspective, and Corey Connors was was fabulous, and yep, and could have been could have been closer to the top. Very happy for him. Good little small kid. Uh, but to put into perspective how Mac did, although the only day he was over par was the last day. It was you're right? It was a tough day for him. The defending champion Dustin Wood didn't play on the weekend. Didn't make the cut. Put that into perspective. How good those guys are.
0: Well, that you know, it is. Um... The people, f- and we talked about this on the show on Thursday for those who are listening, but the, the guys in the green jackets who, not just the winners of the tournament, if you're a member there, you get a green jacket, and they're walking around the course, you can see them, and they they make themselves quite visible, a lot of them. Uh, they, I don't think, loved the fact that Dustin Johnson set a record by going 20 under par in November when they had the fall Masters because of the delay. And so they got that course set up as hard as it could be set up. I mean, for Mackenzie or anyone else to to have even par or better was really remarkable because that course was that hard. Like it was set up to be as hard a golf course as you could make it. And so, you know, to make the cut there, boy, I'm telling you, that was, it was an achievement, but just by itself. And to play at even par for most of the time, it was no shame in that by any stretch.
3: It's an achievement getting there. It's an achievement making the cut. I looked at it, and as a former, and this was a while ago, a 16 handicapper, I'm nowhere near that now, I took a look at four or five of those holes and thought, I'm not sure I could break 200 there.
0: I'm positive I couldn't. And I'll tell you that uh, they do at the end, and I don't know, I think most people know this, but the day after the Masters, they or the well, the last day of the Masters, they have a draw in the media center, and something like 20 media members get their name drawn if you put your name into the bucket and they get to play around on the Monday. And I I did not get to play when I was there last time. But you know, I gotta tell you, as much as it would be fun to say that you played Augusta, for a golfer as bad as me, and you have to take a caddy. You don't just get to drive a cart around and hide in your own shame. Some poor <laughs> schmuck caddy has to carry my bag if I was going to play and watch me stick handle all over the place. And as you say, shoot probably 250 with 17 balls in the water on 16. And like it would, it, it, it almost, as much as it would be great to have that chance, I almost thought when I put my name in, as I dropped the ballot in, I kind—I really, really hope I don't win. I really hope I don't win because just the the, that would be an unpleasant round for a guy like me. If you're a good golfer, it would be an amazing experience but uh, I don't know.
3: And the, don't know. the biggest thrill would be able to say that you played it.
0: Well, yeah. And then to hope that the caddy who caddied for me suddenly knocked his head on a beam somewhere and had immediate concussion and lost his memory. So he could never tell anyone about the moron that he just caddied for. Cause that would be all, that would be ugly. That I, I, I've only once had to play with a caddy and it was, it was humiliating. It really was. Have you ever played with a caddy?
3: I did. I did uh, on a course called Big Bear out in Palm Desert, and uh, it's where uh, Daryl Cates is a member, the owner of the type or the Oilers, and I played with a group of guys there. And you had to take caddy, and the tee off times were um, seventeen minutes apart, and, and so the caddy went, but we had to take carts, so they. So I, I was in a group of three. I says, uh put the... He said, I can't put the bag on. But later on, he, he rode with me. And I said, why are the tee times so far apart? He said, you'll never see another golfer out here the rest of the day. It was unbelievable. It's the course that uh, Tiger Woods, uh, Annika Sorensen, Fred Couples, and uh, and then Nicholson played in night golf. They finished it the last four holes at, at night. And uh, it's it was unbelievable. But The the caddy said to me in the first hole. He said, "Put it here." I said, "What?" He said, "Just hit it here." The other guys didn't want any help from their caddies on putting, so I parred the first hole. It's the only par I had, but I hit it where he told me to. I would never hit it there in a million years. Where I'd have hit it, it was gonna roll off. So he was he was really good to have around for that reason. But yeah, but but story, you know, I got the we warmed up with Pro V. pro v's on the um the driving range with log with the uh big bear logos on them i said where's the little black stripes he said take all you want i said what he said yeah take all you want
0: uh yeah i would have backed up my car just filled the trunk
3: i said i'll just take i'll just take enough for the round i took seven dozen no i did (laughs) not
0: yeah well I, 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 the best round I ever played of golf and I don't play often and I don't play well. The best round I ever played was a time when I was by myself and there was no one in front of me and no one behind me and I could just relax and not worry about it. And, um, the worst start I ever had Don, and I don't know how we got into golf stories per se, but it was at a company tournament when I was at a different newspaper years and years ago and I was teeing off and the publisher of the paper was in the group right behind us. So he's standing in the tee box behind me. And I was nervous because I was brand new at the paper and I was very young and I didn't want to look like an idiot. And so I take this just majestic swing and dug my, my driver face into the dirt about six inches behind the ball and the entire club stopped dead. And I almost, I think I sprained both my wrists and I was in excruciating pain, but then had to try and hit it again. And I, I honestly, I could not barely feel the club in my hands. My wrists were so sore. I couldn't hardly swing a club the rest of the day. I was in so much pain, but, and then another time I Well, well no, I won't go. At least, at least he knew you weren't put on the golf course all day when you should be working. It's uh, yeah, that's true. And, and you know, I, I almost hit oil. I dug down so deep with that one with my driver that uh, <laughs> never, this is why I don't golf. I, I work, I don't golf. You're listening to
1: the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don, you uh, once golf was done, you probably turned your attention to the NHL trade deadline and saw the Leafs made a bunch of trades today and uh, and last night. And really, I think um, in a lot of ways, I thought I thought it was very similar to Alex Anthopoulos in 2015, gave up not much, nothing off the roster, but gave away potentially some of the future, but decided it was time to go for it. Are you in agreement with Kyle Dubas that this was the time for the Leafs to sell some of the future and say now is the time?
3: I thought he was brilliant the last 48 hours. He, he gave a draft pick, I think the San Jose, to pick up some salary. Like he bought salary cap space with a fourth round draft pick. Uh, his cap cap uh, GM or assistant GM uh, worked the magic. He addressed some needs they needed. Did yeah. he get enough? No. Does any team ever get enough? No. Like he added a bit of depth in goal. He added a little bit of depth on defense. That's That could be their Achilles heel. But they've got the best team in the North improved more than any other team in the North. So now, I mean, you got to win the North to go anywhere. But I think this is a year that his best players, Matthews, Marner, <clears throat> and and people of that ilk, Riley, need some success in the playoffs if they're ever going to have any. And I think this is a year you can't keep bowing out in the first round. So he's done his job. And if they can stay away from some injuries, they've got arguably nine of uh, as good a top nine is anybody in national hockey League up front right now. They did it. And they, they needed grit. He didn't want to admit it. Uh, a year ago, everybody was saying they needed more grit when they play Boston and whoever else they play. And he did that earlier with Simmons. He's done that with Felino.
0: And uh, I think he ticked all kinds of boxes and good for him. It struck me that A number of years, the one knock that he's getting against him, if there is a knock, and there's not too many people criticizing him right now, but saying he doesn't really have a lot of draft picks. The Leafs don't have draft picks now for next year. It strikes me, if you remember back to about, well, right before the Jays won the World Series, the first time in 1992, that they made a trade, they made a bunch of trades and they gave up guys like Glenn Allen Hill and Mark Witten and some others and it was, oh man, those guys, that's going to come back to bite them. Well, Glenn Allen Hill never turned out to be really anything. Mark Witten had a four home run game for St. Louis once upon a time, but wasn't a huge star. And the piece they, pieces they got back worked. The pieces they gave up to get David Cohn that helped them win a World Series didn't turn out to be anything. And David Cohn did. In uh, in 2015, when Anthopolis traded all those pieces away to get David Price and Troy Tulowitzki and all them. Go look and see what the guys that he traded away turned into. And the answer is a big pile of nothing. You know, prospects are, prospects are only prospects and draft picks are only potential. And so I'm, I don't have any problem with doing this because you've got the team now and you're giving away unknown. They may turn into something, but who knows?
3: Well, a couple of comments, Cliff Fletcher, who, uh, who I knew well when I had the, uh, ran smoke because we were affiliated with the Leafs once commented draft Schmath when he got rid of a bunch of uh, draft picks to build his team because your point is well taken and Sam Pollock, and you've got to be of a certain vintage to remember that he was the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens when they won 73 Stanley Cup straight <laughs> uh, his uh, his analogy was whoever gets the best player wins the trade because you know you got a good player Right, So they they uh, they got the best player in every deal they made. And do they have to cough up a couple first-round draft picks? I think so. That Nick Robertson kid's going to play in the NHL. They'll know better than anybody if they've got a couple more guys in the Marlies. And you see, that's the assessment they make. And you've got to pull the trigger at some point. But they, they know how deep they are with the Marlies. And they're going to have enough assets that if they want to get rid of Nylander some, at some point, You know, they can get a boatload of draft picks. They can fill that draft package back up. But right now, they don't need draft picks. They need quality guys to help these younger guys who are just swinging into their prime now, help them win and get a winning mentality into their head so that if they don't win it this year, they know they got a shot at it and they got to learn how to win. And this is going to help them.
0: Well, the other thing is the Leafs have made a lot of mistakes over the years because they've had teams. They've made, they've traded away when Fletcher said draft schmaft, that was fine because he had a team that was contending at that point. They went to the semifinals twice in a row. But the Leafs made a lot of mistakes by giving away draft picks, high draft picks, over the years in order to try and maybe get into the playoffs. Let's get a guy that can just get us into the playoffs. This is different. This is a team that they believe, and I think a lot of people believe, can contend for a Stanley Cup. That's a vastly different scenario you're in about whether you're willing to give something up.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they they would trade away guys like Tom. Uh, they picked up Tom Kerbers from New Jersey, I think, which turned into uh, Rob Niedermeyer. Uh, no, Scott Niedermeyer. Yeah,
0: Scott Niedermeyer.
3: Yeah. And so those ones really come back to bite you when, you know, you trade a first-round draft pick and you go, we could have had that. But that doesn't mean that guy's going to be there and doesn't even mean they'd be smart enough to draft them. If you're making mistakes like that, you're probably not even drafting well. Anyway, he did well. I thought, and kudos to him. And uh, I don't know what that does with Joe Thornton. It may put him on the Real McCoys, but they're going to get some injuries. (laughs) Yeah, they're going. And they're and they're going to they're going to need depth guys like that that they can put in the lineup and trust. You know, uh,
0: Uh, you will you uh, will tell us on the air on the show first when you do sign Joe Thornton for the Dundas Real McCoys. I trust.
3: Well, I'm not even going to tell you I've talked to him yet, but you figured it out.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, one other thing about this though, today was trade deadline day and this has become a thing, certainly in Canada, not as much in the States, although apparently ESPN picked up TSN's show today uh, on one of their satellite ESPN6 or whatever. But nonetheless, it's a big, big deal with your partners, your TV partners in this country. And Don, I'm wondering if The fact that most of the big trades happened last night before they came on the air, should the NHL put a freeze in place for 48 hours or something before the trade deadline to say, look, you can register the trade with us beforehand so that player X can start to clear quarantine or do whatever else, but it cannot be announced until the day of trade deadline. So we get something to show on the trade deadline show. Could that work?
3: No, uh, and I'll tell you why I think it won't work Well I'll tell you why it won't work first of all um yeah unless you're going to share all that information with the other teams because the Leafs need to know if somebody's off the market, they need to know what somebody else is doing if they're going to plan on playing them in the playoffs, and they may want to counter that so it, and and in today's social media, to think you can keep a lid on that with thirty one teams next year thirty two teams without Guys like Elliot Friedman finding out, I mean, I don't think there's a chance you can keep a lid on it. And that's why I don't think it's a bad idea, but I don't think it'll work because there's going to be too much leakage. Guys are going to tell their brother, I, you know, Felino says to his brother, I'm going to Toronto. His brother tells his best buddy, and it's on Twitter. Now everybody- and, if you, and I
0: suppose if you said, well, we're going to have a one week lockdown, you no know, trade blackout leading up to the trade deadline, all that would probably happen then is the day before that blackout would become almost an ad hoc trade deadline then everyone would try to get their trades in before so you're still you know you're not solving the problem i suppose
3: i I think i think in uh, i i think before twitter and and uh, all the other avenues for social media that was possible when You know, back in the day when there weren't sports channels and you were only relying on picking up the Hamilton Spectator to find what the trades were the night before, I think then it works. I just think today it's so much different. If you were on the Leaf Beat, now covering the Leafs full-time for the uh, Spectator, you'd have some inside sources. You know, you'd probably bought the the equipment manager a hot dog one day and he's going to tell you, you know, "I I just packed up Dougie Gilmore's sticks. That's not a good sign. You know, it would get leaked out. That was facetious. Dougie doesn't play anymore.
0: Well, real McCoys, I'm telling you. Um, yeah, you know what? I wish they could do something. I really do. I mean, the, because for, I mean, just for the networks, because they're putting, I mean, the amount of manpower, woman power, people power, everything into this show, into these shows, it became almost ludicrous today. I mean, I, I, I tuned in for five minutes, about three times during the day, and they were talking about nothing. It was like an episode of Seinfeld because they there was nothing to talk about, and yet the NHL has all this power in, you know, eight hours of TV, and the NHL can't give them anything to do. It just seems like it's missing an opportunity. I just don't know how you fix it.
3: Well, and I think I think some, some of the trades they talk about, they pick up off Twitter, right? Like if there's a trade in Calgary, and it gets out on Twitter... It may well get out, and Sportsnet and TSN might be picking it up off Twitter feeds, you know, and reliable sources. So it's it's a challenge. I'm not sure it's an eight-hour show anymore or a five-hour show or whatever they've got it with. I mean, it used to be a 24-hour show, right, almost. But you're right, it's, a, it's much ado about nothing for the most part. And lots of teams like like uh, Toronto did. I mean, they got Felino the night before. I mean, everybody doesn't wait till trade deadline day.
0: Exactly, exactly. And the challenge
3: this year was different. If you're if you're bringing in an American, he's got to sit for seven days. And so some of the it it probably created some more challenges. Although, you know, the Leafs will be fine without Foligno this week. You know, it's the big picture. It's the playoffs that they're worried about and being being ready to go. But COVID has certainly
1: had an effect on it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don, you have probably been following or many people listening have been following this story that has been going on now for weeks about Deshaun Watson, who is the quarterback of the Houston Texans. And there are something like 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 female massage therapists who say that he has acted inappropriately towards them and have filed lawsuits against him. I don't want to get into the allegations or all those kind of things because we don't really know right now. They are just lawsuits, but... What should a team, in this case the Houston Texans, what should a team do? How should they handle a player on the roster? He has not been charged with anything. He hasn't been charged, but the public relations, the, the fact that he is affiliated with your team looks terrible. You've got a lot of female fans. You've got a lot of male fans, hopefully, who would frown, would be appalled by this kind of thing. What do you do if you're in their position?
3: Run and hide um I well they all well this is a silly comment, but I'm gonna make it they all have uh or at least all the contracts I'm familiar with have morality clauses in them and as do uh endorsement deals and so on like the team can I'm sure get out of the contract by saying he's not living up to the moral standards as set by the Houston Texans and I mean, there's lots of things they can do. The mere fact that they choose not to—I mean, if there's one allegation, you go, well, "I don't know, maybe it's a gold digger." Uh, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But when there's a litany of them, I mean, when when it looks like a lineup at Costco for the same allegations, uh, I don't know. You gotta. But they. But th- th- this is a league that have people that have been on murder charges and assault charges. And so on. So I it, I think it speaks to the NFL too. I I would be surprised that they don't want to take a higher higher uh, moral look at this thing, but they seem to be letting it drag on.
0: It's well, a good press. It's not. And and, I mean, the flip side is you've got a guy who has been accused, but there's no proof. I mean, one of the things that is a foundational principle of American justice or jurisprudence, if you want to use the big word, is you're innocent until you're proven guilty. So if you're the team and you decide to cut him or suspend him or whatever else without any proof, are you not violating his rights almost. And, and like, again, I'm not, I'm not saying he did or didn't, I don't know what he did or didn't do. You're absolutely right. When you get this many people, certainly you start to say, or you're well beyond starting to say, this doesn't look good. When this many people are making the same allegation, it certainly sounds like a pattern, but until he is found guilty, can you really do anything or are you violating his rights?
3: Well, I think you're violating his rights, but is he not is he not violating his contract uh, unless he's got one that there are uh, no more no morality um, clauses in? <clears throat> and and I agree. But you know what? If you're if you're you're in the police department and you get charged with something, they suspend you with pay, and that's an argument up here that you know if a police officer gets charged with something, you know he's on he's on paid leave. I mean. That's before that you're ever taken to trial. That's the standard they set. Now, should the NFL not hold themselves to the same standard as police departments in the province of Ontario? One would think so, but they don't. They have their own set of rules, and we know that those set of rules are far different than everyday life. I mean, if you had that many allegations against you as a Hamilton spectator for similar incidents, you think you'll still be writing columns and doing this show every night?
0: No, no. And and the other part that makes this very tricky is that he has not been charged with anything yet. They've just been civil cases, and we know anybody can sue anybody. And in the States, heaven knows it's a litigious society. Anybody could sue anybody for anything, and you could have a bunch of people sue you. And there may or may not be anything to it. I'm not casting any judgment on this case because I know nothing about the truthfulness or anything else. You, I go back to your point. When there's this many people, you do wonder. Um but again, I like I don't know what the Houston Texans do here. And and what makes it worse for them is he is the star of their team. If you release him, you're you know, you don't want to do that because you're snookered on the field. If you keep him, you look like you are somehow endorsing or allowing this kind of behavior. It's it, it like this to me is is this is worse than having it where he's been charged and you can then say we have to put him aside now because until this plays out right now you're in such a limbo I don't know what they do
3: well you uh, here, here's what a lot of people think might happen because I've talked to a lot of people is that if he was a third string cornerback on the team he'd be gone absolutely
0: 100 percent
3: 100 percent some people some people call that a double standard. And, uh, I don't think there's, you know, I don't know how many ways you can look at things like this. And, you know, I don't know enough about it. It's allegations. You're right. And, and should somebody lose their job? Perhaps no. Perhaps no, they shouldn't lose their job. But perhaps they maybe should be suspended until it's looked into a little further. And you're right. I mean, does it have to be criminal charges? Like I said, it's, it, you know, the lineup's pretty long. It's not one or two people that you might sit back, like I said earlier. You know, you got to be careful of gold diggers. Okay, let's give them the benefit of the doubt on that. But it's not one or two.
0: No, and, and, you know, as I say, the reason that the criminal charges makes it a a little easier, I think, to deal with, even though, again, he's still not convicted, is you at least then have had someone, an authority of the police, the prosecutors, say there's enough evidence here that we're going to charge him. We've gone to a grand jury in the state's this we don't know if there's anything and you know it's it's it is such a limbo but i don't know what they do and you know the real irony here is deshaun watson uh several months ago was demanding to be traded from houston he didn't want to play there now no team would pick him up with a 10-foot pole if he got released now he's probably begging you can't release me because then i'll lose my contract so it's uh, the 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 tables have really turned on this one um Anyway, it's, it's, it's a really interesting one. I don't know what teams, this is, this is where, you know, teams get themselves due to, I think no fault of the Texans, but I, I, you know, the decision that you make in this kind of case, I don't know what you do. I really don't. And that doesn't mean that I'm being soft on sexual assault, not that at all, but you also, until there's some proof, I mean, you do have to consider the burden of proof somehow. I think I just, I don't know what you do with it. The easy one would be, Don, to say, you know what? We're going to pay you, but go home and stay far away from the team. And when we figure this thing out, we'll bring you back. And if it turns out you're guilty, you're gone. That would probably be the easiest way to do it. Well, that's, again, that's what police services do. Yeah, and that that probably would be the easiest way and probably the smartest way right now. And it looks like the Texans are trying to do that. Um, I don't know. It's a, uh, it, it is a mess though. It is a gigantic mess and uh, it doesn't sound like it's going away. And it's cert- you know, here's the other thing. It will not be gone away before the start of the football season, likely. And so they're going to have to deal with this, whether he goes on the field or not. That's going to be really interesting what they do because he is the star of their team. Don Robertson, always enjoy having you on here. Thank you for your discussion this evening. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you again next Monday. Appreciate the time. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Stay well. By the way, you can send me a note on that last one. What would you do? What do you think is the right answer in this? He's not guilty yet, but he's certainly got a lot of presenting a lot of problems for the team, public relations wise, publicity wise, morality wise. What do you do? Radley at 900CHML.com. I'd love to hear your comments. The Scott
1: Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900CHML.
0: The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.